Welcome to the ITE Talks Transportation Podcast from the Institute of Transportation Engineers. Each month, we'll bring you conversations with thought leaders in transportation on the future of the industry. Thanks so much for joining us on the ITE Talks Transportation Podcast. I'm your host, Bernie Wagenblast. More than any other state, Michigan has perhaps played the biggest role in modern American transportation. But it's not just from an historical perspective that Michigan has had an impact. For example, the state is a leader in the development of connected automated vehicles. Our guest this month is someone who's been involved with all aspects of transportation in Michigan, and he's also played a leadership role nationally. Kirk Steidel is the director of Michigan DOT, and he's worked with the agency for all of his professional career. He's retiring at the end of October. Well, Kirk, welcome to ITE Talks Transportation. Well, thanks, Bernie. It's great to be on with you again. Good to uh, to talk with you once more. Well, first of all, the uh, the thing I want to do is congratulate you on your upcoming retirement. Well, thanks. Uh, you know, it's been an absolutely amazing career, 31-plus years with uh, the Department of Transportation uh, as a public employee. Uh, it, it's been absolutely rewarding, and, and uh, probably all the people listening to I've uh, probably interfaced with it at some point in time in that career. Uh, and um, it's been it's been a great ride. I absolutely love it. And Although, as uh, you know, a couple of the movies said, you know, not dead yet. <laughs> well, that is good to know. Well, for those who haven't been following it intimately, uh, you've been with Michigan DOT for over three decades, and the last 13 years have been as the director. Now, needless to say, things are changing so quickly, you've probably seen quite a bit that's changed over that time. What strikes you as some of the biggest changes in transportation that have taken place during the course of your career? And at the same time, the second part, what are some of the biggest successes as well as some of the remaining challenges? You know, Bernie, as I, I think about that three decades, uh, and, and you can really almost break it into you know three separate areas, and, and the first two was kind of, I don't want to say business as usual, but you know, we were trying to find ways to do things, uh, you know, better and faster under our current uh, structure. But, but the last 10 years, since the advent of smartphones, it's really changed the way DOTs function. I mean, this integration of technology, where in the past it's always been, you know, we had a, uh, a computer that was maybe acting, in some cases, we had this big mainframe sitting, you know, was helping us do some of the initial phases of design and, and CAD stuff. Uh, but then, you know, as it's moved into, uh, you know, handheld devices, uh, and it's really integrated our normal personal lives, it's given us a whole different opportunity from a professional level to really think about how you integrate that technology into what we do. You know, if you, you just go back 10 years ago and, and think about what the latest technology was, you know, if you had a fax machine, that was pretty cool, right? That was kind of as, uh, you know, smartphones were starting and only, you know, those early adopters had those new things called smartphones. Most of us had a flip phone and we thought mm -hmm. we were pretty cool because we had a flip phone. <laughs> so, you know, and, and we could text. You know, we could text using the the, uh, the numeric pad. 
and, and some of us were pretty proud that we could text really fast without looking at the keyboard, you know, or the you know the zero through nine buttons. Uh, <laughs> and then and then smartphones come and they just explode. What's happening? And I think the biggest change has been the availability of technology uh, and how we've integrated into all of the workplaces and practices across departments of transportation on the public side, but also on the private side, whether it's a private consulting company or whether it's a construction contractor. And, you know, the, the, the integration of that is, is just so, so significant. And the second part, what do you see as some of the biggest challenges in the coming years? So I think it goes right along with, uh, you know, the opportunities. Uh, you know, what we've seen the last couple of years is technology. Technology is changing so fast that uh, I see it as, as a real challenge of trying to keep up, right? Just as if our, if our normal procurement processes uh, are held in place uh, like they are today, we will be buying and procuring technology that's two or three generations old by the time we get it, just because our procurement practices are so slow and so inadequate. So uh, I think the challenge that I see going forward is this rapid, continued rapid, actually accelerating um, rate of, of technology integration into our personal lives and into our professional lives that I think is going to be difficult for all of us to, to handle. You know, everybody that, that's listening either works for a public agency or a private company, all of us have the same fundamental issue of making sure that we're justifying where we're expending resources from either that public agency or that private company and make sure that we're getting the best value out of it. And, and it's, uh, it's challenging at times when, when we're dealing with something that has maybe a very, very short life cycle. And, and it's, it's not one of those things that's easy to change, particularly if you're, if you happen to be in the civil engineering where, you know, we build things that last for 50 years. Well, the life cycle is 50 years. Well, we all know that the life cycle of electronics is not, right? Why do they have two-year contracts on your cell phone? Because that's about the life of them. So as we move into this integration, I think that's going to be a big challenge as well. And how do you keep up with that? Well, now, over the past 31 years, you've certainly made your mark in Michigan. But beyond Michigan, you've also been in a number of volunteer leadership positions. For example, president of both AASHTO and ITS America. You were chair of the Second Strategic Highway Research Program Oversight Panel and a number of other positions during the past 31 years. What did you see as some of the most rewarding parts of working as a volunteer to help shape the future of transportation? Professionally, you know, we all, no matter where anybody's at in their own career, that, that professionalism is, is, is always there. So professionally, you're thinking about how do, I, how do I help advance my career? And early on, you're thinking very myopic, right, about what do I need to do in my next job to get to this next promotion. But at, at some point, it, it, that starts to shift. I can't, can't put my finger on when that happened, but it starts to shift to say, uh, how do I use the talents that I have, the connections I have, to make a larger impact? And what kind of opportunities are out there for me to be engaged in a national discussion that's helping to move the whole profession of engineering and, and, and all of that forward? And then in many cases, you need to be involved in organizations 
you know, your, your work organization that would allow you to be involved in these volunteer organizations as well. So you got to have the opportunity, but at the same time, midway through your career, it starts to shift, and you start to think about how you impact society and then how you impact beyond where you currently are. Uh, and then it just continues to grow, and you continue to be involved in, in different conversations uh, you know, on a much more uh, significant scale. And, and I've been very, very fortunate with the uh, Department of Transportation in Michigan to have uh, really good bosses, being the governors, that said, I want you involved uh, because I want you to help set the, the direction of where this is going. Now, of course, Michigan was the center of the automobile industry from the beginning with uh, Henry Ford and his automation and such, but there's a new kind of automation that's taking place in Michigan, and Michigan once again has been involved with that, the uh, early and the ongoing development and deployment of connected and autonomous vehicles. Tell us a bit about what you see as the potential for that technology, as well as some of the challenges. You know, what's interesting, Bernie, as you say that, uh, I'm, I'm sitting about 100 feet from where that uh, or one of Henry Ford's uh, premier facilities was, and that's at the Willow Run Airport, and I'm sitting at the American Center for Mobility. So this is the place that, that was uh, termed the arsenal of democracy that cranked out an airplane every hour uh, during the early or mid-40s. Uh, so it, it, it is interesting as we're changing the footprint of where I'm sitting into the American Center for Mobility, which is dealing with the next generation of automated vehicles and connected vehicles, it, it's, um, it, it is really, uh, really significant. And, and I look at it as this is the opportunity for those of us on the public side to really figure out how we, how we work with the private sector, with the developers of the technology, whether it's tech companies, whether it's auto companies, to really get after the safety benefits that we know that automated and connected vehicles are going to have. And we, we know that 94% of crashes are caused by human error. So if you can take that, the human error out of that, we can save a lot of lives. And, and frankly, that's what's driving me. That's what uh, drives most public agencies, particularly DOTs. It's how do we reduce the carnage that's happening on our roadways? So that's the first and foremost. The next piece is, you know, automated, connected, uh, highly automated vehicles are going to reduce congestion when they're connected to each other. They're going to reduce energy, uh, and they're going to change the landscape of how how we all move around. So, you know, our mission as as uh, civil engineers, as transportation engineers, is really about the efficient movement of people and goods. That's really why we're here, and and the more we can automate that system and give more options to people, then they have greater mobility. You, know, you could sum it up with the term, this is about mobility for people and goods. And, and I think the opportunities are just tremendous, and, and I've been very pleased and to be connected with the, the mobility space, uh, all the stuff that's happening in Michigan, all stuff that's happening across the country, whether it's in in California or Texas or Pennsylvania or Florida, but then also what's happening across the globe. And I've had the opportunity at the American Center for Mobility to, to connect with AstraZero and in Sweden and K-City and Nice City in, in Asia. It's absolutely amazing to, to see all of these different countries 
people speaking different languages working on the exact same problems. If I could ask you to polish off your crystal ball and look a little bit ahead into the future, how quickly do you think we'll see this technology, especially autonomous vehicles, being widely deployed in the United States? You know, I think your key word there was widely, right? They're, they're deployed now, and, and I think you also have to, you have to define what do you mean by automated? Is it complete autonomous? Well, autonomous means that it, it, it thinks for itself. Completely autonomous vehicle goes anywhere, anytime, uh, for any purpose. That's, that is a long, long, long ways away. That's true level five. That basically is, you know, an elevator on wheels. That's a long ways away. But the integration of technology is already happening in vehicles. So you, know, you can go to any dealership today and buy a vehicle that has adaptive cruise control on it. You can buy one that has advanced, uh, pre crash braking systems, things that are, there's already automation moving into the cars. You know, you know something as simple as um, a, a window, right? Right now there's uh, automatic windows. Remember when that used to be an option? You could get an automatic mm-hmm. window or you could crank it. <laughs> wow, mm-hmm. That was called a manual window. Now they're automatic. Right? So automation has been moving in. It's going to continue to move in. And customers are continuing to buy it on the auto side. And, and you're seeing various levels of that move in right now, and, and it's advancing very, very, very quickly. And, and that's on the auto side. And then you take it to the shuttle side, and, and there's places, you know, downtown Detroit has a little company that's uh, called May Mobility that's opened uh, a service that's running 19 hours a day, six days a week, running a driverless vehicle with no steering wheel, no pedals, from a parking garage in downtown Detroit to the headquarters of a private business moving their own employees, and it runs every day. Uh, and it's it's working really well, and, and this company, May Mobility, has recently announced the expansion of that into some other cities across America. You know, two years ago, that company did not exist. So it's, you know, they developed a business plan, they've been moving, they've been manufacturing, and they're growing by leaps and bounds. So you're seeing that already happening in, in certain areas. And then there's the Navia shuttles. As you saw them in, in Las Vegas, you've seen them in Ann Arbor. Uh, those are starting to, to roll out more and more. So I think people are, are, are going to see them in big cities, low-speed shuttles, uh, in, in very set geofenced environments. And then on the flip side, consumers are going to see the – the uptick of technology within the vehicles. And then you get to the on-demand automated networks, which are driverless Lyft and driverless Ubers, and you're already seeing some of those being tested in, in Arizona, and, and I think you're going to see more and more of that. So your key there was widespread. What's your definition of widespread? It's going to continue, and it's going to continue at a rapid pace. Well, certainly something that you've been involved with during the the past few years is preparing your agency for this kind of technology. In general, what do you think public agencies need to do to be better prepared for connected and autonomous vehicles? You know, I think the first thing, they need to pay attention, right? You can't look at this and say, oh, that's, that's not coming. No, it is coming, and it's coming quicker than most people think but it's also not coming as quick as some of the hype makes it out to be. So my advice to any public agency is 
get engaged and, uh, and listen and understand. There's associations uh, out across America in a variety of spaces in, in, the, in the traffic area that, that put on all kinds of seminars that, that talk about what's coming and, and what's, uh, when the likely time frames are. And, and I would encourage people to get involved. You can get on something as simple as a webinar and just hear what's happening. So that's the first thing is do some research, understand. Uh, you know, if you have your head in the sand, it's time to pull it out and look. I think the other thing that, that everybody can do is think about the technology that they have in their personal lives. And maybe, maybe not them uh, specifically, if they happen to be towards the end of their career, maybe they're, you know, they don't use a lot of technology. Well, what are their kids using or their grandkids using? And I'd encourage them to think about as they're investing in their infrastructure at that public agency, what really is that infrastructure going to be used for by their kids or grandkids? And start thinking about that. Now, the simple things that people can do is if, if you're a road agency and you have uh, street lines, whether you're uh, you know, a city street or a highway, then, then pay attention to those and make sure they're in good shape. Think about your maintenance practices when you go and crack seal a road. Don't, I mean, you gotta feel the crack, but if the crack happens to go right through the pavement markings, then get the pavement marking fixed. If you think further down the road, when you're reconstructing a road, think about where that joint line is at and can it be moved so it's not at the paint line knowing that it's going to cause you a problem in the future with the paint line. So, you know, use the engineering thought and think further down the road for the next phase of, of uh, that asset. And, you, you know, there's lots of roads that aren't going to have paint lines on it. So there's people saying, oh, this is crazy. You know, I've got local city street subdivisions that don't have paint lines. I've got dirt roads. Yeah, that's very true. Uh, so if somebody's developing a vehicle that is solely dependent upon a paint line, well, that model's not going to work. But they're going to figure out how to handle those non-paint line scenarios, probably high-definition maps, other kind of radars and lidars. But, but what we can do now is focus on the things that we already do and make sure that we do those really, really well. The next thing is engage with the, the associations and companies that are looking at integrating technology into traffic signals. Traffic signals are, are coming along. Uh, there's, there's a lot of, of capability within those cabinets that, frankly, we don't use right now that we ought to use more of. So I would encourage people to think about how do you integrate that into this larger system as well. But rule number one, get educated on what's out there because there's a lot of great things happening. With 31 years of experience under your belt, for those listeners who are early in their transportation careers, what advice might you offer them as they start out and look ahead? I almost wish I was starting all over again because there are there is so many fascinating things happening right now, and it, and it really it, it couldn't have happened earlier because the technology wasn't there. The wireless technology, GPS wasn't there yet. I think they're going to see some amazing changes. Uh, my advice to them would be be flexible, understand that change is normal, figure out how to adapt to whatever the, the technology that is around you, uh, and, then, and then go with it. Figure out how do you make it better. You know, we all went into engineering because we wanted to solve problems. 
and, and solving problem isn't pulling out a checklist and, and then just going through the checklist, the flowchart, you do this and do this and do this, do this. No, engineering is about solving problems. It's like using your knowledge, using the resources you have available. It doesn't matter if you're in some very remote place where you don't have a lot of resources. Your engineering know-how says, I can use these other raw materials to solve this problem. In, in this case, you're going to have more tools available. You have more technology available. Uh, how do you help solve the problem? At the same time, be careful that you don't become a slave to technology. Technology is good, but it's got to be used to solve a problem. It can't be just used because technology is neat and cool. It's got to solve a problem. And, and my advice to, to everybody that's listening that's young in their career is um, pay attention to what's happening around you. Understand how you fit in the larger environment. Have fun and go solve problems. That's probably the, the biggest piece is have fun because at the end of the day, 30 years is really going to go by a lot faster than you think it does, and you need to have fun along the way. I can certainly verify about those 30 years passing by very quickly. Now, all of that career for you has been spent at least up to this point in the public sector. And I'm curious, why did you decide to stay in the public sector for all that time? I'm sure there were opportunities that came along during the past 30 years or so to, to do something a little bit different. And as you look back over those past 31 years, what do you see as some of the rewards, some of the drawbacks, if any, of being in public service? You know, I, I got drawn to public service because I, I wanted to be at the, the agency that made the decisions as to um, what got rebuilt. I, I started as a construction engineer, and, and I really wanted to be uh, uh, the owner, right, deciding what needed to be fixed, and I wanted to to, to be engaged on that side. Uh, and then as my career progressed, I certainly had plenty of opportunities to leave and go and do other things. That, that drive really changed to where I said, you know, I, I, want, to, I want to help society. Uh, I want to help solve some larger problems. Or I want to help go deliver these big projects for the people as their representative and do the absolute best job that I can. So there was a public service drive that, that I didn't initially have. I, you know, it was a civil engineering job that I originally had. But the longer I was here, the more I understood I was there for the public good. And I was there to serve the 10 million people of the state of Michigan. My decisions had to be what was best for them. And, and that's very, very, very powerful. Uh, and I wouldn't have traded that for anything. Uh, I absolutely uh, uh, love the public, the uh, public sector. I love the public service. Uh, you know, as I said before, there's plenty of opportunities to leave. But when you, when you can be involved in a, an issue and actually decide how it needs to get fixed, and then have the ability to just go do it. That's pretty powerful, and that's, that's really where I saw the fun part of my career take off. And as we're recording this, uh, it's just a couple of weeks before your retirement takes effect, and I understand that once you leave Michigan DOT, you're going to be joining Econolite. Tell me a little bit about some of the things that you'd like to be involved with post-Michigan DOT. You know, it's uh, Econolite is a great company. I've known them for a long time, and I'm really excited about joining them. Uh, and really excited about working on integrating technology 
uh, and and really helping to move the service side. There's lots of technology out on the road side, but I'm interested really to see how can we help leverage that technology again to solve problems, right? So as I move to a, a private sector role, I, I still bring uh, the, the mindset of of the larger mission of a public agency. It's about still doing good things for for people, right? And in this case, it, it's the clients uh, of Econolite. So it, it's certainly going to keep me involved in, in many parts of that, but it's also going to keep me involved on the Kavita side in in the research edge uh, and how do we stay on that edge uh, and the public policy piece to make sure that that whatever we're doing is fitting into this and, and helping agencies walk through some of the conversations that you and I just had, right? What do you do? How do you do it? What's best? Uh, and then and what should you do first? So I'm really looking forward to taking my experience of integrating technology into the Department of Transportation in Michigan and helping agencies integrate technology into their organizations to help drive more efficiency uh, and, and help drive this technological change that's coming. Well, we certainly look forward to uh, following the rest of your career and seeing what you're going to be doing in the years ahead. And our guest this month on ITE Talks Transportation has been Kirk Steudel, the Director of Michigan DOT. Kirk, thank you so much for being our guest this month. Thanks, Bernie. As usual, it's always great to talk to you.